Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk. The white man's wilting dick. The smiling lie of the televised hive. The witches are watching with their thousand eyes. Witches are watching with their thousand eyes. We smell rotten teeth that speak beyond belief. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 72. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Heroes and Champions. Here are some recent comments about this podcast, and I really appreciate the kind words. Tom on YouTube says, Amazing content. You deserve more subscribers. I agree. I usually push subscribing to YouTube or Podomatic when I upload or at the end of this show. But uh, on YouTube, I currently have a little over 100 subscribers, and YouTube starts paying creators once they reach the 1,000 subscriber mark. So, do me a favor, tell your friends about the Fun Ideas Podcast, and get, get them to subscribe too. It's just a click of a button on my YouTube page. Also, I'd appreciate it if you became a patron of me. It does cost some money, mainly for storage space, to do this show, so if I could get at least $100 a month from outside sources, that will help defray some of the costs in doing it. Of course, you can advertise like Lee's Comics does. Rates are low, and they run for the entire season. Contact me at funideas.mark at gmail.com if interested. As far as Fun Ideas Productions is concerned, I'm doing well during the pandemic, and I'm working on the Mad Book, and on the new Disney Book, and four articles for Back Issue Magazine. Headquartered the book about the monkey solo years that I wrote with uh, Michael A. Ventrella is my latest book, and look for the Warren Kramer book and the TTV scrapbook soon. Of course, I'm continuing this podcast during the summer for now, so I will be doing that as well. This would normally be the final episode of the season, but because of the pandemic shutdown, I've decided to continue offering new episodes throughout the summer for your entertainment while you are self-isolating. So next week begins Season 3. Stay tuned. Our guest today has run numerous comic book stores, including Little Shop of Heroes, Comic Collector Shop, and currently Heroes and Champions. He's also a master at foosball. Here he is, Phil Schlafer. Okay, on the phone today, I have Phil Schlafer. How are you, sir? I'm fine. How are you? I am fine, too. Well, um... You're my second podcast guest since this COVID outbreak, the first being Archie Comics' Dan Parent, and I was wondering how you were surviving during all this time with your comic book stores and everything. Well, uh, that's a good question. 
every day has been a new curveball since this started a few weeks back. Uh, the most recent curveball is Diamond announcing they're not going to do any deliveries after this week. So that's going to be interesting. Orders are on hold for a while. Today is the due date for the order book for future orders. Mm. So we'll see when those ever get here. Um, so we've been making decisions and trying to uh, get ahead of this on the fly. Um, but overall, you know, we're in the same boat as everybody else. But the store is doing okay. We mm. offer curbside service. People can call ahead of time. We can run their card or do PayPal or some such. They can come by and grab it. But we're not really letting people, in fact, we're not letting people into the store and, and able to browse and, and hang out. So that's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and then right after, uh, and the Diamond announcement came a couple of days after uh, Alan and I um, purchased Lee Hester's, Lee's Comics, mm-hmm. a subscription list and mailing list fixtures and, and inventory that was in the store. So, again, that was a big curveball for us. We weren't expecting some of that. But uh, the new customers from Lee are are doing well. They're coming over. Mm-hmm. And my regular customers are uh, are getting the, used to this type of thing. So we're all in the same boat again and <laughs> trying to get used to it. But um, we're going to take this time to remodel the store completely we uh, like a lot of the fixtures that were in lee's comics so we're going to make use of some of those mm-hmm. clean up and repaint some things and um we feel that uh when this blows over at some point we reopen we'll be stronger than ever and uh more versatile for everybody and hasn't the store changed the name the last time i was down there is comic collector shop so haven't you undergone a quite a different change by since i've been there yeah, that store has changed a few times over the years, as most stores have. I mean, I started my first store in 1985, mm-hmm. and it was called Little Shop of Heroes. And then I shortened it to just Heroes a few years later. Um, so it's kind of uh, kind of weird to look back. I have been involved in six or seven, maybe eight store purchases of some sort so way back in the day I started my store from scratch and then a couple years later I bought one of the comics and fantasies stores from Roger Grant who's no longer around Hmm. and then um, there was another store I bought the mailing list I can't even remember I think it was collector or something collector's corner something like that and then uh, moved the store sold the store years later bought big guys comics in mountain view mm-hmm. that's the one that we i changed the name to comic collector shop okay <laughs> comic collector shops a homage to the original bob Sidebottom's comic collector shop that was downtown san jose since the late 60s and then um some years after that uh rnk comics was in sunnyville uh purchased them merged the two stores together took the Mountain View location, moved it to the R&K Sunnyvale location, mm-hmm. kept the name Comic Collector Shop. And then a few years back, I think five or six years ago, I actually sold out 
to Joseph Levine, and then in the summer, Joseph sold it back to me. <laughs> I didn't know. And that. we still had the name Common Collector Shop, and then Alan Bart of Heroes, which I had sold back to him back in 1995. He became involved in the store, so we're 50/50 owners in this store, and we decided to combine the tried and true names. Uh, Heroes, which was his uh, mm -hmm. from me, and then my uh, back issue convention name, which is Champion Comics. So the mm -hmm. new store is Heroes and Champions. Okay. So people are familiar with both of those names, and they're familiar that Alan Barr and myself have those names. So that it was a, a bit of a change, but not a, a full change. People know who we are. We've been around for years and years and years. So, um, and then Lee of Lee's Comics is going to keep his name for his online and I guess he's going to do conventions and things so right. anyway yeah so I've been involved in quite a few comic store changes and moves <laughs> and whatnot. so this is the latest one and no. by far by far the uh, the strangest with the uh, you know the COVID and right. sequestering and all that kind of stuff so now, is it still at the same location, the the last one you had? Yeah, this oh, okay. is still at, at 574 East El Camino. Okay. The cross street is Fair Oaks. We're in Sunnyvale. We didn't move it. It's the same store. Uh, and then the stuff that we've gotten from Lee's Comics, we're just merging it into the same store in Sunnyvale. So long-time Lee's customers will recognize some of the bookcases and fixtures and things. Um, but... The, the store is still Heroes and Champions, same location. Got it. And then does Alan have the other Heroes location in Campbell, or is that one closed? No, that, that store is still open. That's okay. at the corner of Campbell Avenue and Winchester Boulevard. Okay. I sold that store to Alan back in 1995. <laughs> uh, and it's still there okay. and uh, still operating. Um, so what's nice is... I can lean on that store to get some inventory here and there, or vice versa. So we trade back and forth. But he owns that store outright. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. And uh, again, we're both involved in the store here. Now, how, going way back, how did you get involved in collecting comic books and becoming a comic store owner in the first place? I mean, it's not something you just really wake up one morning and say, I'm going to do as a career necessarily, but... <laughs> Right. Well, you know, I've been lucky, uh, but it wasn't planned. I used to sell comics at the Prospect Flea Market and the De Anza Flea Market back in high school once in a while. Okay. I was a collector since I was about nine years old. And, you know, over time you get doubles and things. And I went out to the flea market and sell off, sold off some doubles. And it was just for extra few bucks. I didn't have a paper route, so I did that until I could get a regular job at 16. So it was for, you know, gas money and goofing mm -hmm. around on the weekends. <laughs> and then uh, I was going to go to school for graphic design, art, drafting, that type of thing. I had been going that direction. In second year in school, I, uh, I stopped, took a break, got a job in construction, and a few years of that... Uh, the arcade in Campbell that we used to hang out at, that was at Bud Avenue in Winchester. Mm -hmm. That guy approached me out of the blue and said, hey, I want to sell the arcade and move to Reno. Are you interested? Hmm. So I was 23 at the time, and I said, yeah. So I went for it. 
And about a month or two in, I decided to put a little sign behind the counter that said buying old comics and sports cards. Mm. Uh, just, you know, kind of for my collection. I didn't mean for it to be a full business. So I put this sign up at the arcade. Of course, you know, lots of guys that went in there were collectors or had collections when they were younger. So books started coming in, items did. And then people started encouraging me to carry new comics. Mm. So little by little, this arcade that had 55, 60 games in it, I started shrinking the games. I started selling off some games and bringing in another little glass counter or a display rack for more and more comics. Mm. And then eventually it was about 50-50. I was down about 25 games, and the other half of the store was collectibles and comics and things. And then in 1990, I moved it to the corner of, of Campbell and Winchester, where it is now. And in 95, I sold it to Alan and thought I was going to be out of it for a while. <laughs> and, uh, I just dealt in original comic artwork and some comics on the side. And then a few years of that went by, and I got to talking to Dick Swan of Big Guys Comics, and he wanted to sell, and we ended up working a deal. And So... I didn't plan it. It just kind of fell into my lap. <laughs> and I've seen the ups and downs, right? And all yeah. the stores open and close over the years. And a lot of guys I've known. And uh, I'm still around. So, mm -hmm. I think the first time I met you, was it was Little Shop of Heroes. And it was... Oh, was that considered Cupertino? <laughs> it was well, yeah. So, so yeah. there's the store I bought from Comics and Fantasies was in Cupertino. Right. That was Roger Grant, and it used to be on Bark Lane. It was a tiny yeah. little thing. Yeah, I used to go to that one. Yeah, Roger and I got to talking, and he was he had found a place to move it down the street across from the Kmart. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when him and I got to talking, and I said, hey, I want to buy buy this store out. And Roger had, had two or three other stores at the time, right. so we made a deal. I bought the store right when he was moving it, took over this new lease over off of Bollinger and De Anza, That's right. and ran that store for a while. Yeah. Then I ended up selling that. So I had that store and the Campbell store at the same time. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I, I sold it to a guy named Craig Blackwell. Yeah. He ran it for a few years and then ended up having to close it in 94, 95 when the industry was shaky. Oh, okay. And then I ended up selling the Campbell store to Allen in 95. So, Got it. Okay. So yeah, that was one of the stores, and that's where I met you. That's right. Yeah. Way back. Way and, back. you know, then I moved to San Francisco in the early 90s to, well, actually late 80s to go to college and everything. So I didn't know all that later changes and everything because I was up there uh, buying yeah. comics and stuff like that so well there was all kinds of stuff going on you know the ironic thing was when I was a junior in high school I worked for Roger Grant mm -hmm. at the first comics and fantasy store way down on West San Carlos now I remember that too I mean I, yeah. the earliest I went there was like 1977 so did you work there way back when yeah I was oh, there okay. so I probably I saw you there and didn't know <laughs> Probably. So I was at that store for a few months, and then mm -hmm. he opened his second store in Princeton Plaza right. on Blossom Hill. Yeah. And myself and Greg Sisk went there and repainted it, put the glass counters in there and got it ready. Mm -hmm. And then I worked mainly at that store for probably another six, eight months. Mm. Okay. And... uh 
I ended up leaving there. And then, you know, a few years later, I ended up, you know, getting a store, opening a store from the arcade. Right. So, you know, I'd been around. I went to Side Bottoms for years when I was a kid. I used mm-hmm. to go to Brian's Books. Mm-hmm. I used to go to a Red Planet Comics. Dean Parker was in El Paseo. That. Yeah. yeah. Comic scene with Dennis Day. Remember that? <laughs> you know, I was all over the place, as yeah. as were you. You know, Roger yeah. Grant stores, um, and then I'd venture out of the area every once in a while. I would get up to Comics and Comics or right. Comics Relief in Berkeley. Once in a great while, I'd, I'd run up to San Francisco. But so, you know, I'd seen the majority of all these stores open, and some of them close, of course, but. Um, yeah, I think the first time I was downtown at Side Bottoms, the uh, comic collector shop was probably 74, 75, something like that. Mm-hmm. I was 12 or 13, talked my mom into driving me down there. <laughs> so most of us remember that store, right? That yeah. was the big deal. Uh, then, then the comic art shop, which was one of the comic comics and comics guys stores, was down there for a little while. There was another store called the Marvel Galaxy. Frank Scadina had that. Mm-hmm. Um, those days were really cool because you could go downtown and hit five or six places within two blocks of each other right. to get comics, right? You could go to the yeah. couple of comic stores. You could go to Twice Read Books. You could go to um, Recycled Books. All those stores down there had comics yeah. in boxes and dig around and find stuff. So... <laughs> That was pretty cool. Now, did you have the same uh, issues that I did? You're, I think, a couple years older than me, so maybe not. Um, like, downtown San Jose back then in the mid-'70s was kind of shady. <laughs> yeah, that was a real sketchy news. So. <laughs> and so my mom it said, we can go to that store, but you have to hold my hand. And I'm like 10 years old, and I'm like, hold your hand. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it because, you know, there's like drunks and derelicts and everything else around in that area. And it was pretty weird, you know. Yeah, that was a really rough area. Um, I, my mom took me once. She was scared to death. So that was <laughs> that. But what happened was I met a couple of guys in junior high. Mm-hmm. And we would ride our bikes from Campbell all the way down to downtown San Jose. We'd start early in the morning lock them up out front of Bob's at one of the parking meters <laughs> and then go in there and spend all day shopping at all the little shops. Of course, we, you know, we all had two or three dollars between us, but yeah. comics were 20 cents, 25 cents in those days. So, but that's what we did. And I didn't tell my mom <laughs> I was going down there because, you know, she would have had a conniption fit. So we rode down there, didn't tell our parents and <laughs> we was doing that for a while. Then finally I got a car and I could drive down there, but yeah, yeah definitely a scary place. We did not walk <laughs> around too much. We ran from store to store and stayed out of the way of the, of the weirdos. <laughs> now, did you have the same issues with side bottom that seemingly everybody else did is like you dig through and find some good old back issue and it was like priced like something low and he says oh no no it's not that price it's this much higher price <laughs> did you have that same issue it seemed like every yeah bob bob was the master of that he would just put piles out <laughs> on these little makeshift shelf 
shelves and things, and then he'd make he'd basically let you do the work, right? You'd, you'd sift through, find the good ones, bring them to the counter, and he'd go, oh, no, that one shouldn't be in that stack. That's $5. That's $2. Right. <laughs> so he didn't have to do the extra work, and then he'd just turn you down. He didn't like kids. Right. It was hard that. to deal with it. And he would run us out of there all the time, and you know, especially if he thought you were out of money. <laughs> but there was uh, one time in particular... He had, you know, Bob always had really great stuff behind the counter there on display, right. and he'd have multiples. So there was this time I was down there, I was probably 13, 14, and it was Iron Man number one there, right? He wanted four or five bucks for it, and I didn't have that much money, so I scrapped and saved. A month or two goes by, we ride down there again, and I say, hey, um, I want to buy one of those Iron Man number ones. Well, now there's there aren't any on display on the counter, right? But you know he's got them in the back room or he's got them somewhere. Yeah. And he looks at me and says, I don't feel like getting one. It's in the back. <laughs> so, and I'm like, what? I saved up my money to... So, but Bob didn't care. He knew eventually I would spend that money on something else in there, which I did. <laughs> and I never did get the Iron Man one from him, but... but yeah, he was, uh, That's funny. He was, he was grouchy. Um, he was into his jazz mm -hmm. and um, whatever else. And uh, if you couldn't talk jazz with him or old, old comics, he didn't want anything to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually, over the years, I wore him down, kept going in there, mm -hmm. got to be friendly with him, and then um, would hang out there on Friday nights. I played in the backroom poker games mm. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in my 20s and early 30s so that was um, that was fun but it took a while you know to wear him down to where he would uh, let me hang around so right <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I had the, the probably the gumption of the guts back then to try to befriend him <laughs> I just remember he was always kind of there in a grouch and then he opened a Monterey store at, at one point and they go, oh, no, he's here, too. <laughs> yeah. No, he did that. I don't know how long he had that story. Only a couple of years. Yeah. But the cool thing with that was because he had the jazz record stuff down there, too, yeah. he he befriended Clint Eastwood, who was a big jazz jazz aficionado. So Clint would go in there and hang out with Bob, and they'd listen to jazz records. Hmm. Bob would shut the door and not let anybody in. And one time I walked into the downtown San Jose store, and there's Clint standing there, right? Wow. I'm like 16, 17 years old, and Bob shooed me out of there <laughs> and, locked, and locked the door, and they went whatever in the back and were listening to the jazz stuff. So wow. that was pretty cool, but if you weren't his buddy, yeah, you were you were uh, out of luck. <laughs> right. Um, now, his business card always had the R. Crumb drawing that says, I want it, I want it, I want it, hot stuff. Uh, yes. Was he friends with R. Crumb, or was it just a... Uh, yes, he was. Oh, okay. Uh, he befriended Crumb way early on. Okay. And Bob was a huge fan of the underground stuff and, and bought tons of it. So those guys really liked Bob because he spent a lot of money pumping them up. And then, of course, Bob made a couple of his own undergrounds, Barbarian Women and something else, I think. But Yeah, that's right. So Crumb did a lot of stuff for him. There's a there's a card that, that is jazz records, you mm -hmm. know, instead of comics, and it says the exact same thing, right. but it's records in its place. So he did one of those, mm -hmm. and then Crumb did um, some 
plywood stand-ups. These things are five or six feet high. Mm. Actually, four to four to five feet high. And he did the alligator girl and the keep on trucking guy, a couple of <laughs> couple of guys that he cut out of plywood and painted. And Bob had those. Yeah. And Bob had one of them in the window, and then he'd keep it in the back. So um, after he passed away, his his wife. Um, sold those, but yeah, those were a very cool one of a kind thing that Crumb did for him. So oh. they were they were pals for a while. Okay, so those are real. I remember those. I didn't know if he those, actually those were real. Oh. Yep. <laughs> so you didn't so. have any part of that when you got his collection, then? I mean, uh, or was that just something you didn't bother to purchase? Well, first off, that's kind of a combination. There got his collection. So for years, Bob. <laughs> Bob started to sell me stuff when I had my store. Mm-hmm. He would sell me stuff wholesale, hmm. stacks of things here and there. And then when he started having health problems, I helped out with his ordering and helping to run the store a little bit because he wasn't in there. Because hmm. his wife wife had no clue on what to do. So I helped out for a while, and then he got better. Uh, and, and we were still making deals. I was buying a lot of stuff. And um, then when he passed away, his wife uh, was going to sell it to me. And then she had a change of heart and decided I, she wanted to run the store in Bob's memory. Mm. And I taught her for a while, the first few months, and how to order and, you know, cycle and pay attention to what's going on. But, you know, then she went and did her own thing. She took some of the money and did another issue of Barbarian Women. I think it was number three. Mm. And but got got herself behind, and um, the landlord was never really fond of the store there. So he was really a jackass to Bob <laughs> and to Liz, and he had no patience. So eventually, Liz uh, had to close the store, and at that point, I wasn't buying much from her, and was in negotiation to talk to Alan about buying my store. Mm-hmm. And then um, put them together, and then Alan, Alan bought the rest of Bob's inventory and that type of thing. So uh-huh. I got a fair amount over some years, uh-huh. but the bulk at the end there, uh, Alan got. Oh, okay. Now I think at some point you showed me the original store sh- sign in Sunnyvale. Uh, how did you acquire that? Was that um, with the... yeah? When the store was closing down. Uh, that's the store sign that was made out of um, wood and it's green with gold lettering right. and it was on the back wall of, of Bob's store mm-hmm. uh, so I kept that, took that home no, the okay. original sign that was out front the neon and everything I wish I'd have paid more attention to that could have snagged it um, the landlord I think tore it down and threw it away yeah. so that's, that's really sucky, I always wanted that right. but I have the original in in-store sign it's probably i don't know 15 feet wide it's a couple of pieces of wood it's like 10 inches by one inch Mm -hmm. with the comic collector shop logo still painted on it and that's on display still in our heroes and champions store in sunnyvale so okay and uh you know you have all these stories about this story uh how about any of the other stories that were downtown did you uh get as chummy with them or was it kind of just with no, I, I mean, again, it was years before, you know, Bob Bob was nice to me. I was probably 
19, 20 years old by that time. So when I was younger, those stores didn't last down there that long. So the Marvel Galaxy store, I remember maybe being in there a couple of times. And Frank Scadina, who ran that store, that guy could rival Bob for grouchiness. He might have been worse. (laughs) So that guy was a piece of work. And then the other store, uh, Dick Swan was in there and a couple of his guys and they were nicer. They had pinballs in there, I remember, and they had a little Star Trek part of the room. They called it uh, Starbase One, I think, or something. But again, they didn't stay down there very long either. A year or two, maybe? Mm. Not that long. So, you know, I would, before I had a car, I could get down there on my bike, but that was, you know, once every other month or so, we'd scrap and save and get down there. So, right. Yeah. Um, so I did not really get to make friends with those guys in those days. Years later, right. okay. I got to be friends with Dick and some of the right. guys in that first store. And then Frank Scadina would come around my Campbell store and uh, complain and, you know, be a, <laughs> you know be, a little, be a little grouchy and stuff. But he would come in from time to time, and then mm-hmm. eventually we stopped seeing him. Mm, okay. Now that store that uh, Dick Swan was involved in downtown, was that one Comics and Comics also, or was it? Uh... Well, it was called the Comic Art Shop. Oh, okay. But they did not call it Comics and Comics. Okay. So uh, Dick could probably give you more the the exact um, details of that store, but he was involved in the store. I think Bud Plant was too. Okay. But that wasn't the full Comics and Comics thing okay. yet, okay. and it was never called Comics and Comics. Okay. So. Because I remember Comics and Comics when it was on Cowper in Palo Alto, that one. Yeah, And yeah. one in Berkeley and a couple others. But, uh, yeah, they had Berkeley, they had San Francisco, and they had five yeah. or six stores at That's one right. time. That's right. There's like three so, in San Francisco, I think, at one point. It yeah, so, like... um, but yeah, I, I was, you know, I'm probably 10, 12 years younger than those guys on yeah. average. So I really wasn't uh, in with them yet. And then there's another one called Seven Sons. I mean, I always hear about that. I don't think I ever saw that one. Is that similar to, or is that, well, is that Robert yeah, Beerbaum's one? Or that's that's part of the same group. Oh, okay, got it. They, they okay. did an offshoot, so they called it the Seven Sons. But I'm not sure. My memory's failing on that. If yeah. they actually called the store the Seven Sons, or it was the Seven Sons, they called themselves that as maybe like a little corporation or something that owned the store. Okay. And then branched off for the comics and comics. So that those fine details, I don't know. I'll probably have to do a podcast with Dick Swan. So yes, you do. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. Um, now, when you were doing, uh, when you were selling some of the stores, you acted like you got out of the business completely, or did you just not sell in a store and you were still collecting? Well, I mean, I'd done that kind of a couple times. In 95, I sold the store, and I was married at the time. My in-laws used to own a lot of restaurants, and I thought I was going to go into the restaurant business and do that. Oh, wow. (laughs) That didn't work. Yeah, that didn't work out uh, very quickly. But uh, I'd sold the store, and there there weren't many opportunities, and I didn't think that opening a store from scratch was the way to go. So I didn't think I was going to get back into it and then a few years went by and started talking to Dick Swan and then that, that kind of 
got me back in. Okay. Um, I'd had opportunities at Brian's Books and uh, had three stores at one time, and he'd offered one of the stores to me. And um, But, you know, I, I wasn't sure I wanted to dive back in. <laughs> and then um, finally, after some discussions with Dick for four or five months, I decided I missed it, and I wanted to, you know, to have a storefront again and not just set up at a convention or, you know, that type of thing. Yeah, that's one that I was going to ask. Were you still doing conventions at that time? Uh, once in a while, okay. not not super regular. Mm-hmm. I was more of a buyer, mm-hmm. and again, I was dealing in a lot of original artwork, so it was a lot of mail order and, mm-hmm. and okay. those types of things. I wasn't doing as many comics. I just kind of left my collection as, as it was and was really into the art, so... What type of art were you collecting? Just the same, like Marvel art, or is it everything? Uh, I had a little of everything, but I focused on Marvel art. Mm-hmm. You know, my favorite artists from the seventies when I was, you know, flying the step off the rack. So I had a lot of P. Craig Russell. I had uh, Glacy. I had some Wrightson. I had uh, Frank Brunner, and I had a ton of Starlin art. I probably had over three hundred <laughs> pages of Jim Starlin art. Wow. Um, even guys like Rich Buckler and and some of that. And um, so I had quite a bit of that stuff. And then. I'd have a Neil Adams page once in a while or a Steranko or something, but I usually I would, you know, I traded a lot of stuff and I kept three or four of those 70s guys the most. I had some Kirby stuff and, you know, the stuff you would expect. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky, at least for me, I got into that in the mid-late 80s, so I had gotten some good deals and... um, and had had this stuff for a while, and I didn't think I, I was going to get back into the stores. Right. I was happy just to do the artwork and and other things, but um, you know, things <laughs> switched and I went back. Right. Um, do you deal with uh, original art now, or do you just have personal pieces that you like, or nothing? Yeah, I have personal pieces. I sell a few things every once in a while. Um, I don't have near what I used to have, but uh, uh, I dabble in it a little bit you know mm-hmm. it's hard to go completely cold turkey on this stuff right, right you know right. you go back and you buy some old timelies or ecs or just stuff you know but over all these years for me it's been 40 something years of collecting brand or selling i've had pretty much everything at one time or another i had a large timely collection and i sold it i had a large ec collection i sold them and mm-hmm. <laughs> hero monster you know you go into these little phases right and a lot of stuff i still have but you know my store is kind of my revolving collection right right you know yeah in talking to lee yeah in talking to lee the only thing he had and i think he finally sold those too is he had a personal storenko collection and i think he finally sold that and said I don't have any personal collection. <laughs> well, he may he may end up uh, rebuying some of that. That's usually right. what happens, right? Because now, <clears throat> excuse me, he doesn't he doesn't feel like he needs to sell it through the store, right? right. He can keep right. some things. So that's typically what happens. Yeah, uh, a lot of guys have done that. Some guys just keep on collecting and never sell some of that stuff. But um, right, you know, it's still fun, mm-hmm. and it's still cool to talk about a lot of that kind of thing. So. And I was just curious, you know, I, I know certain things you've collected over the years, because you mentioned, I think you went through a phase where you're collecting a bunch of romance comics and things like that. 
Well, um, I was trying to complete the Marvel romance. Thing. Right. So my, my thing was every Marvel comic from 1961 to like 1985, mm-hmm. I was trying to get. So that included the, the Western stuff, you know, Sergeant Fury, um, Night Nurse, you name it, any title, Marvel's Greatest Comics, Marvel Tales, or reprints, I wanted one of everything. <laughs> and I was probably 99% complete. I was just missing one or two of the uh, Our Love Stories mm-hmm. and, a, and a My Love, but I'd had everything else. Wow. So, and then, you know, after a while, like, okay, well, I'll sell off some of that. Uh, <laughs> I still have uh, probably 85% of that. Oh, okay. Um, so I have a pretty full Marvel collection, uh, scattered after 1985. There's certain runs and stories I, I've kept, but, mm-hmm. you know, it takes up a lot of space, and, you know, some of that I've gotten in book form trades and stuff, so, right after 1985. Um, of those type of titles and stuff like that, what is probably the most difficult one to collect, meaning hardest to find? The, the hardest to complete would yeah. be those romance books, especially if you want them in, in nice condition. Mm-hmm. Um, those didn't get saved a lot in collections, and I'm sure a lot of boys didn't buy a lot of those, right? You know, right. Some did, but most of the time they didn't buy them much. Um, you know, depending on condition, if you're looking for high-grade stuff, of course there's lots of books that are tough to find in high-grade, but mm-hmm. if you just want nice medium grade or, or BG copies of stuff, you can pretty much get everything, but uh, but those would be the toughest, those romance books, I think. Right. And a handful of the westerns. Yeah. For Marvel. Right. Now, did you collect anything else? I know, you know, typically you're a Marvel guy from what I've known, but I mean, were you into DC and all the other publishers, or... Yeah, I had a little of everything. I I was an artist guy, right? So mm-hmm. I'd get all the Tower Comics, Wallywood, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. I had a bunch of DC stuff, all the Kirby stuff, Wrights and Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the top artist guys. Um, I had the Atlas Seaboard comics when those came out when I was ten years old, and yep. or whatever old I was. Um, and some runs of of DC, right? Swamp Thing, of course, and. But I was not a mainstream DC guy. I never really got actions and Supermans or Jimmy Olsen's or any of that. Mm-hmm. It's mostly artist-driven for DC titles mm, Okay. Uh, for a long time. Um, what I do have still is a very comprehensive collection of the Marvel Mania, Mary Marvel, Marching Society, Foom, that kind of thing. I have a, a lot of that stuff. Okay. Uh, store displays, pop-up displays, things like that. Mm-hmm. The things that are super, super rare. that You couldn't just buy those at any drugstore. Right. You, you have to send away for them and or, you know, know somebody that had a store and, and, and get the display thing. So I've been lucky to find a lot of cool things like that mm-hmm. um, that you, you don't see every day. Were you a subscriber to Foom or anything like that back in the day or no? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, after I think it was issue two or three, I got a subscription. Because and uh, I got the subscription all the way through. And the first, uh, they weren't mailing the films folded like the comics. They mm. were shipping them like a magazine flat. And then um, I had subscriptions to comics early on too. Right, I had a subscription to Avengers and Iron Man and 
mm-hmm. maybe Thor, and you know they come folded in half. You're like, okay. what? Okay, I was gonna oh, say, yeah, did they fold those? Yeah, yeah I never oh, had yeah, a they, comic book yeah, subscription, they, so yeah, they folded those, so that was irritating, and then I ended up going out buying a regular copy. So the subscription really didn't do me much good. <laughs> and you, I don't think you got them before the stores did. I can't remember. I think you got them a few days later or a week later. So that was frustrating, too. You'd go to the rack. Wow. And you'd see the issue. Like, oh, I don't have that yet. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was back. It was it was that way, but maybe I'm wrong. But uh, so I only did, like, one, you know, year subscription of those. When I figured out they folded them, I stopped that. Mm. Now, Foom, they never sold that on the stands. It was only by mail order, right? Right, you had to join the Foom Club, right? You'd get your membership packet. There was some uh, decals and some iron-ons and the fold-out Steranko poster and the big envelope with the Hulk face on it. Okay. And then after that, I think it was only the first half a dozen issues, they still had the Hulk mailing envelope, and then the books would just come um, by themselves, like, say, a Sports Illustrated with the mailing stamp on them. Hmm, okay. Because well, I tended to see all those after the fact. I mean, I, you know, I guess, like, when when they were out, I'd see the ads in the comic books, but mm-hmm. it didn't occur to me to actually <laughs> mail away for them. So, and then a few years later, they'd pop up in stores and the, in the right. back issue bins and stuff, and I'd get a few that way. Um, yeah, that's the stuff that I've really been after the last few years is the stuff that was you had to mail in for. Because mm-hmm. most people didn't do that, and maybe they didn't want to cut the coupon out of the comic or whatever the reason. So that stuff's kind of hard to find. Some of that, right. so um, I'm trying to complete that. So yeah, I do have a few little knickknack doodads like that, like the Howard the Duck button, you uh-huh. know, for when he ran for president in '76, and yep. I actually have a Pizzazz magazine bookmark, which is apparently rarer than hen's teeth. I didn't even realize it, so it's a little cardboard thing. It's not much, but, you know, it says Pizzazz on it, so anyway. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure I have one of those. Yeah. And uh, I've seen uh, the Marvel No Prize envelope. Have you had those and stuff in your collection? Uh, I have about three or four of them. I've got a couple blank ones, mm-hmm. and then I have a couple that I had Stan Lee sign. Mm-hmm. What, so, do you, what do you think is, like, the rarest thing you might have? Uh, the rarest thing I might have? Uh, of of Marvel, Marvel collectibles. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. There's probably a lot of things tied, but I have um, an original script for FF104 Let's see, 106 or 108, signed by Stan Lee. So it was the script outline from the writer to the artist, Stan. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have that. I have the original display poster for um, the Third Eye Blacklight. So it shows all 24 on it. I have the box art, uh, things like that. I've got uh, original 7-Eleven Slurpee Cup. (laughs) <laughs> displays, right? So there's a three by three cardboard sign that they used to stick up in the store above. Oh, wow, yeah, I remember icy, that. Icy machine. So I have that. I have a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but the single most rare, I mean, that script is probably one of a kind. Um, you know, I have a lot of 
things autographed by Kirby and Stan Lee, but uh, the item itself, it'd have to be something, one of those type of deals, I guess. Right. Now, tell me about the script, just out of curiosity. I mean, uh, what typically happens to those? Are they just discarded, or are they returned, or are they kept in well, the Marvel files? Or? So I, I guess some of them get thrown away. Maybe Stan or somebody or Marie Severin saved a few in file drawers. Mm-hmm. But uh, but for the most part, I don't think they kept those after they they made the issue. You know, yeah. maybe the artist did or an inker or somebody would, but... Uh, yeah. I've not seen too many of those. Right. I, I haven't seen any for any publisher, yeah. really, so that's why I was curious about it. Well, as... if you look, if you go back through, like, Jack Kirby Collector or Back Issue Magazine, those kind of things, you'll see, yeah, see that's pictures true. or copies of, that's true. you know, a script outline that somebody submitted, right? Say Stan Lee did or, or Roy Thomas or some such. So they're out there. Um, but this one's complete. I got it from a, a local collector and um, it's signed by Stan, so that's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, since you mentioned Stan Lee and his autograph, uh, you got him into the store, and I was there. Um, what other what other guests have you had at uh, any of your various stores over the years that you're proud of? Well, obviously Stan was the big one. Right. Years ago, I had some some artists come in the '90s, but I didn't push that too hard. Mm. Okay. You know. Um, the first couple of guys I ever had was Mick Gray and Chris Marinin, I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I talked to a lot of guys and just didn't pull the trigger to really push that too hard. Um, and then years later, I decided, okay, let's look and see what we can do. And, um, you know, I'd run in the stand many times over the years at shows and I really wasn't pals with him, but, you know, could, could carry on a conversation he recognized me so uh, ultimately before he got super super huge for right. the signings I was able to uh, to get him to come to my store and up to that point Stan had done any store signings maybe ever wow it was only a convention right. or something special he would come but he had not really gone to anybody's store possibly something in LA or or in, in you know New York way 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 back 30 40 50 years ago but right. he was not normally doing that type of thing so I was in the right place at the right time and uh, pulled off a coup there and got him into the store so uh, that was a huge huge success of course and then Stan wanted to come back the following year mm-hmm. so we had set up everything to do that and then the weekend he was slated to come uh, that week he had uh, a surgery for a pacemaker. Ooh. So then we tried to reschedule, and once people realized, hey, you know, Stan's not that young anymore, and he's getting fragile, right. they started throwing big money at him right. to show up at these super large events, and we could just never coordinate to get him back. Oh, I always uh, wondered about that. <laughs> yeah, he was book solid, and a couple of times his manager would call me like, you know, on a Wednesday and say, hey, he can come this Saturday, we'll fly him up. And I said, hey, I, I, that doesn't give me enough time to let the customers know <laughs> he's coming, right? It'd be, it right. would probably be worse, right, if people realized he showed up again and, and they weren't uh, ready. So mm-hmm. we just couldn't get it coordinated again. And then um, they got more and more selective as Stan got more and more 
uh, popular and such a hot commodity that was pretty much impossible to get him to come back at that point. So okay. Now, were you talking directly with Stan to set it up, or he had, he always had a manager at that point? Initially, I set it up with Stan, okay. and then the details after that went to this guy, Max, who was his handler. But that was really early on, because Stan didn't have anybody really, you know, be in the middleman booking certain things, right? It was pretty simple. Right. He would just show up at a handful of the big shows every year, and he didn't really need that. But it was right about that time this guy started helping him. But the initial discussion was Stan and myself, hmm. and we worked out most of the most of that, and then the fine the fine tuning Max got involved right with yeah. the actual date and how many hours and that type of thing so we flew him up and got him a limo and did the whole nine yards and hmm. that was pretty fun yeah, I, at the time I thought it was pretty unique I didn't realize how truly unique it was you know it, yeah. yeah again yeah what after that you know like I said he was in huge demand the Marvel movies really started to take off right and um when he had that, you know, pacemaker put in, everybody realized, oh, yeah. man, we better we better get him. So then, of course, his price went way up <laughs> right. to get him to come out. And, so, he, and even the price to get his autograph, I mean, at your store, it was fifty dollars. <laughs> and well, I think the last was, big wow was like two hundred or something for a actually, song. ours was lower than that. It was thirty five bucks, and we gave you a T-shirt. That's right. I did get a T-shirt. Was you it? A, you got a Comic Collector Shop T-shirt. I it do was have a one. Yes. Stand, yes. And it was thirty-five bucks. Okay. To get and um, you know, because again, it was a reasonable price to get him there at the time. But then his, I mean, just before he passed away, yeah, his signatures were what one hundred thirty, one hundred fifty yeah. bucks. That's yeah, right. You are correcting me. It was thirty-five bucks because I did see yeah. the reason why I paid fifty. That was the second time I saw Stan. Uh, yeah. for a signature. Um, yeah, yeah, it we was at a 50. show. It was at a show, and he was at 50, and I go, 50? He was... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, and then he went up to 200, and I was like, oh, boy. Well, you know, but uh, Yeah, I guess, yeah, they really, whoever was, you know, his handler, and Stan was out of that daily stuff. He didn't really pay attention and know what was going on with some of that. Yeah. These guys were just really jacking up the rates, but yeah, we did it for $35, and we gave everybody a t-shirt right. with right. our store logo on it. So mm -hmm. we had 600 uh, tickets that we sold. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, again, that was, a, you know, our main thing was obviously we wanted to stand there, but we wanted it to be affordable for our good regular customers right. and other Bay Area people to everybody get a fair chance, you know. Once you, that money starts getting up there, then it's that's a tougher deal. Right. And I remember that on the Big Wow is like when he was a couple hundred and stuff like that or you know even a hundred people are like I I don't want to pay this much but I got to do it. You know it's like Yeah, no, yeah. that was at the I think that was the Silicon Valley show, right? Um I think it, yeah, it probably was. Yeah, once they switched yeah, it over yeah, to they, the Silicon they bought Valley out show. the That's Big right. Wow. That's right. And then um and then the next when they find, when they got Stan to come yeah, the price was huge. Yeah, and then Waz would do everyone a favor and drive around that little uh, golf cart or whatever with Stan, and everybody'd wave and all that stuff. So, but yeah. I mean, you can't even get close. You couldn't even get close to him by that point. He was like royalty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he deserves it. You know, all yeah. those eighty, eighty plus years in the business, and 
you know so that was a pretty cool thing right I always like to tell people is like when I first met Stan it was in San Diego and it just happened to be you know he was sitting there with putting some stuff in a briefcase and nobody was around it was behind some drapes and so I just started talking to him I talked to him for about a half hour and uh, then one of his handlers back then, oh, Mr. Lee, you're needed for a panel, you know, and that ended that, and he's all, well, see you later, you know. <laughs> and it's yeah. like I tell people that, and I go, yeah, he used to be approachable when he was younger, you know. Well, yeah, all the creators were. Yeah. And, yeah, that's how I got to know him a little bit. I would see him at, at San Diego Con or somewhere and, and stop him in the middle of the aisle or see him in the hotel lobby, and he was always gracious and, had time for everybody and really the only guy he would be there with was his lawyer right who would kind of like walk around with him and stuff just more of a companion really yeah so that must and be a, he would who do was. The panels. so yeah. um so yeah i got gotten a lot of things signed back then and and pictures and that type of thing but you know he was just a really cool guy and again most of the creators you could go to jack kirby Mm -hmm. who'd be walking around uh you know frank frazetta would walk around the show once in a while he'd he'd be there a lot of those great creators um they were just happy for the attention right because being an artist or a writer is a lonely profession you're home or in your studio by yourself most of the time right doing that so that was something really new when comic fandom started get going in the 60s and these guys were turning into many celebrities and that was unheard of before that right nobody right. even a lot of times knew what these guys looked like so <laughs> many many were gracious and their wives and family members would be there with them and you know most everybody was really cool right um just curious as uh, what show you first attended either as a fan or as a dealer first show that had to be like Baycon or something yeah. way, way back. Yeah. Um, then there was an um, something called Americon. I think uh, Dan Vado might have run that. Mm -hmm. Those were local ones in this area. Um, but the Baycon, I think, that was before WonderCon and that. Right. I went to one of those, and then um, you know there were smaller things would would pop up here and there. But that's that's the one I remember. Mm -hmm. The first San Diego I went to was. I went one time in the mid-early 80s, 84, I think, before I had the store. And I didn't go back again for another couple of years. And then it was four or five times. And then eventually it was every year. So, mm, okay. I forgot, did you used to set up down there? I know Lee did for... I, I didn't set up there an actual booth until... I'm trying to think. When I went in the 80s, I didn't set up. But it was yeah. uh, once or twice in the early 90s. I know I did in the mid-90s. Yeah. 95, 96. And then uh, when I came back, then it was a regular setup. Hmm. Okay. And I guess you stopped going like a lot of number of people. It's The prices have gotten kind of insane going down there and stuff like that. Well... Or do you I've still, gone, or do you I've still set up then? No, no, no. I still okay. go every year. Oh, you I'm do. Definitely. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I thought you'd stopped. <laughs> no, no, no. I remember Lee stopped. Yes. Um, and a lot of big names over the years. Mile High doesn't go anymore. Okay. Um, Bud Plant, I don't think is going. I'm not sure about that, but maybe Bud's still going. But no, I've got 
my spot right there in the front. Oh, okay. All right. At, uh, the B entrance, and I'm right across from Heritage and, and CGC. Okay, so you are right on the front wall, yeah. So I have been there many, many years in a row. Okay. Now, are you also, or, I mean, I know it's been postponed, uh, exhibiting at WonderCon too, or no? Well, that's been postponed. I'm not sure they're going to set up a new date. But, yeah, I was supposed to be at uh, and Allen as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were supposed to be at WonderCon. We were supposed to be at Emerald City last a uh, few weeks back. They right. canceled that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was Ontario. Hmm. Comic Revolution, that one's been postponed. Um, I'm normally in Phoenix in the end of May. I go to Vegas in June, Comic-Con in July, Wizard, Chicago Hmm. in August, Uh, the Silicon Valley show, if and when they're redoing that, I guess it's getting rebooted again. Mm -hmm. So once comic convention season starts, I'm at at least one a month for Hmm. eight or nine months in a row. Now, it sounds like, except for Chicago, they're mainly on the West Coast. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I go to Phoenix. I go to Vegas, yeah. Seattle, Portland, that type of thing. I have been across. I, I go to the New York show mm-hmm. every other year or so. Oh, I've know. been to New Orleans, uh, you know, Chicago a bunch of times. So I've been around to some others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I usually set up at more of the West Coast ones, yes. Okay. I was going to say, I have you have you set up in New York before? Or is it, how does that work? No, I, I'm more of a an <laughs> attendee there. Okay. Uh, you it. know, I get a dealer badge from one of my buddies. I usually help them out, and right. and uh, that when I go and do shopping and 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 cruise around, I've done that in New Orleans and some others. Um, in Chicago, I've set up there many times. Mm-hmm. But uh, usually, the ones that are a little closer. Uh, I do. It's difficult to get your your boxes cross country these days. So, how do you do it for Chicago? Do you drive or do you ship it or what? Uh, usually, it'll get shipped somehow. There's okay. another dealer or two, and we'll go in on a big truck and and get all the stuff driven back. I actually been in, set up in Baltimore one year. Now that I think of it, mm-hmm. uh, Alan and I did the Wizard Chicago, and then the following week was Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So we did those back to back one time, mm-hmm. and those I drove. That was a one time shot. Go across <laughs> country and did that. So yeah. I'm not in a hurry to do that again. Right. <laughs> I went across country in the late '90s, and uh, it's fun to do once. <laughs> you know, I don't know about all the time. You know, it's like you know because it takes about a week to get across country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's cool to see collectors and dealers from different parts of the country. You know, there's some you just won't see unless you get out there. So. Right, right. And are there different, um, are, you know, I'm sure there are different uh, artists and writers and things that don't, that attend shows back there that don't come out here? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially the older ones, you know, like Ramita doesn't travel anymore, Joe Sinnott. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the guys get older, they're, they're going to stick closer to home. And I'm sure there's just a handful that just don't really want to travel cross country. So. Okay. Well, um, barring <laughs> any sort of uh, more seriousness, hopefully there isn't going to be, and this will soon pass in a few months, maybe. Um, what do you see as the future for uh, 
your new store, I guess, and you know, Heroes and uh, Champions, and uh, for shows after this is all over. Well, we'll continue, um, Alan, Barr, myself. We do a lot of shows together, and we do some shows separate, but mm-hmm. we'll continue to do the convention circuit once those get start getting back online. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very confident that the store is going to be very strong when we reopen it, mm-hmm. and this passes. I mean, we've uh, uh, put a lot of time and effort into the remodeling right now and upgrading inventory and so forth. We've got a ton of uh, nice golden age, silver age, bronze age uh, comics for those collectors. The store also does gaming, uh, heavy duty into uh, Magic, The Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Warhammer, that kind of stuff. Um, We have a very, very large and revamped uh, trade paperback selection. Uh, Our Hmm. original inventory combined with the Lee's comics inventory is huge now. Right. (laughs) So we're doing expansion to accommodate that. And um, I think part of this is going to sharpen us up with uh, better mail order service, Mm -hmm. uh, that type of thing. Because I think some collectors now are going to get used to having their books mailed to them. They might like that. Right. (laughs) So we'll, we'll continue any of those type of programs. Um, but I think uh, overall, when this blows over, uh, we're going to be in a much uh, stronger position. Very cool. So, um, for the meantime, what's the best way somebody can get in contact you to you for mail order or anything like that? Well, you can contact the store number directly. That number is four zero eight seven three two eight seven seven five. You can see us on Facebook. Uh, Heroes and Champions. We're also on Instagram. And you can email the store. Uh, there's a couple different email addresses. I'll give you uh, the, the old one, comic.collectorshop at me.com <laughs> is still active. We've wanted to keep that going for a little while. <laughs> and uh, again, we're doing the curbside pickup. We're doing the mail, mail order um, for this type of thing. And uh, uh, that seems to be working pretty smoothly. Those are the best ways mm-hmm. uh, to go forward with that now. Mm-hmm. And do you also have an eBay store or no? Yeah, the eBay store okay. is under, um, uh, let's see here. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm getting it confused with my eBay store. My eBay store is Champion Comics. Mm-hmm. And then we got Heroes Comics has his own eBay store as well. And... Uh, the store one is called um, CCS1-Comics. That was short for Comic Collector Shop. Mm-hmm. So it's CCS1-Comics. It's the store's eBay store. All right. And, and we're listing stuff there. We're listing stuff on TCG Player. That's gaming stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Instagram. So we're kind of all over the place. Very cool. <laughs> okay. All right, well, um, I appreciate you talking to me today about all the changes going on with your comic book world and all the stores and online, and I want to thank you very much. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Phil Schlafer, for being my special guest. Episode number 73 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. 
Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2020, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. of your loom.